The word of the Lord from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you come to destroy us? That's quite a question. I don't think you hear it every day, especially directed at a preacher after a service. I mean, I've preached some stinker sermons over time and No one has ever asked me if I'm out to destroy them. This isn't some stinky preacher either. This is Jesus we're talking about. And if you remember from last week, Jesus is all about preaching and all about repentance. He's all about preaching because God acts by speaking and Jesus is fully God. That's why people are astonished in our gospel reading when, unlike the scribes, Jesus teaches as one who has authority. Scribes don't claim authority. Near as I can figure, a scribe sermon goes kind of like this. With regard to the scripture reading you just heard, Rabbi X says this and Rabbi Y says that. Jesus isn't reading commentaries when he preaches. You get a taste of this in the Sermon on the Mount when he says things like, You have heard it said you shall not murder, but I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother has already broken this commandment. See, scribes don't say God says X, but I say Y. They don't have that kind of authority. Jesus has the authority to add to God's word because he's God. Likewise, you have that example in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus reads a prophecy of the Messiah from Isaiah, closes the scroll and says, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. A scribe would never say the scriptures testify of me, but Jesus does because he is the Messiah and all of scripture indeed does testify of him. So, unlike the scribes, Jesus teaches with authority. Of course, he implies that authority by the way that he teaches, but his hearers might be wondering if he's got the muscle to back it up. 
It would be helpful if, say, Jesus were to demonstrate his power and authority beyond just preaching a sermon. Before we get to that, remember that Jesus is also about repentance. And as we covered last week, repentance is not just about being sorry for your sin. To repent is to stop believing what is wrong and to start believing what is right. So, for instance, Jesus' message of repentance includes stop believing your sin doesn't matter and start believing that God is still holy. Or stop believing that you're unforgivable and start believing that God desires your salvation. More on point for this week's reading, it also includes stop believing that the devil is running the show and start believing that Satan is no match for the Lord. This is the sort of stuff that Jesus is preaching as he proclaims that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the sort of sermon he's just finished for the astonished hearers at the synagogue in Capernaum. And one of his hearers, that one's astonished in a different sort of way. He's the one who pipes up and says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy Son of God. Turns out that one man in the audience has an unclean spirit who decides to have his say there and then, and he says that he wants nothing to do with Jesus. This is a really interesting and kind of strange development in a lot of ways. For one thing, it's pretty astonishing that the unclean spirit speaks up. In our present day, and stretching back three centuries or so, Satan has found it most effective to be quiet and let enlightened people talk themselves into hell by arguing that there is no such thing as evil. That would seem to be the smart play for the demon in the synagogue. If people are wondering if Jesus is the real deal, it's a little foolish on the part of a demon to reveal himself and give Jesus the opportunity to prove himself by casting him out. It would be a much better strategy to slink away so that people think that Jesus is all talk. But instead, the unclean spirit blurts out that he's there. Why does he pipe up? Unclean spirits keep doing this when Jesus is around. Maybe they're just so furious to be near the Son of God that they just want to scream and can't help themselves. Maybe the Lord forces them out into the open so that he can demonstrate his authority. Either way, the outcome is never in doubt. Which leads us to the next thing. The demon's words are not much of a challenge. They're really more an admission of weakness. The demon doesn't pretend that he and Jesus are going to have a knockdown drag out to see who wins. He admits up front that he expects to be defeated and destroyed. There's going to be one winner, and it's Jesus. Even the unclean spirit says so. Why? The unclean spirit tells you why. Jesus of Nazareth isn't just Jesus of Nazareth. He's also the Son of God, the Holy One of God, as the unclean spirit puts it. Note that well. Read through the Gospel of Mark, and no human being calls Jesus the Son of God until you get to the centurion at the cross. Meanwhile, the demons keep making it known. 
So if you think that the demons have a lot of power in comparison to Jesus, repent! Stop believing that and start believing that the Son of God is far greater than the devil and all of his angels. We see this in the Gospel reading as Jesus and the unclean spirits square off. It's the Son of God recently anointed with the Holy Spirit versus the unclean man with the unclean spirit. The outcome is no surprise, but the fight itself isn't what you might expect. First off, if this is a Hollywood production, this is where the synagogue crowd forms a circle around Jesus and the unclean man so that they have a ring for the fight. That's when Jesus and the demons start hurling lightning bolts back and forth, some hitting and some missing, the battle going back and forth until Jesus ekes out of victory at the end. But that isn't how it goes at all. The fight is over before it begins. Jesus rebukes the devil. He simply says, be silent and come out of him. Our translation adds a little bit of drama with an exclamation mark, but we don't really even know Jesus' tone. It could be a forceful command. It could be a still small voice. I find it amusing to imagine Jesus casting out a demon in a conversational voice like he's ordering a cheeseburger because he's always driving out evil and it's no big thing to him. Again, we don't know the tone, but the tone doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus is speaking his word, and by his word, God gets things done. The unclean spirit has no choice. He convulses the man one more time, and then he leaves with a cry. Second, and this is the best news of the text, Jesus vanquishes the unclean spirit, but not the man. The devil demands, have you come to destroy us? And the answer from Jesus is effectively, no, just you. I've come to save the man. I've used the example before. If you have a rotten apple, you can't separate the rot from the apple, so you throw the whole thing away. The easiest way to get rid of an unclean spirit is to get rid of the unclean man, too. In fact, the easiest plan for God is to wipe out the entire unclean human race and just be done with it. Instead, he does something much more difficult than removing rot from apples. He removes sin and uncleanness and every evil from sinners so that they're holy and clean saints. Now, if that doesn't seem that amazing because you're thinking that Jesus is God and can do whatever he wants, let's move on to the third point. The third point, the third odd note about this exorcism is that as the demon is telling everybody the truth that Jesus is the Holy One of God, Jesus tells the demon to shut up. But why? There is absolutely no better PR for you than for your enemies to sing your praises, but Jesus will have none of it. Why? Because the Holy One of God isn't going to save sinners by acts of power and authority. He's going to save them by submitting to death on the cross. If people see Jesus as the Messiah when he's the invincible strong man, there's no way they'll believe he saves them 
when he dies in their place. Ultimately, though, Jesus doesn't win your salvation by defeating the devil because the devil isn't in charge. Jesus wins your salvation by paying the price of your redemption to his Father. That's what the cross is about. Astonishing, isn't it? This is not just some quaint story from long ago. St. Paul declares in Ephesians 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The devil is not a myth to make children behave, but you are under assault by all sorts of demonic forces all the time. When it comes to spiritual warfare, you rank well below the devil and unclean spirits. You don't have any more of a chance on your own by yourself than the man in our text. Just consider how many times you give in a temptation. And if you keep giving in a temptation so that you depart from Christ eventually, you are on your way to destruction with the devil and all his angels. You're likely not possessed by an unclean spirit. If you were, you wouldn't be very happy sitting through a service like this one. But you are certainly tempted and oppressed and harassed by demonic forces, and you're no match for them. What should you do? Continue to cling to the one who is greater than the principalities and powers of darkness. Hold fast to Christ, who speaks him away with his word. If you want to hold fast to Christ, remember daily that you're baptized. If, as Romans 6 declares, you are united to Christ in his death and resurrection by your baptism, then you know that you're not on your own. Daily read and meditate upon God's word. You don't know what Jesus is saying to unclean spirits outside of your hearing, but you do know what he is saying to you. He keeps speaking words of forgiveness and life. While he's telling unclean spirits to depart, he's declaring that in him you are clean and you belong to him. Hasten to the supper as often as you can, for you are most certain Jesus is with you as you receive his body and blood. As St. John declares, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm told that during exorcisms, the number one task of the exorcists is to keep talking about Jesus, for the number one strategy of the demons is to get them to talk about themselves. That's when he can do them damage. Christ is their hope, and Christ is your hope. You have this marvelous gospel reading which shows the helplessness of man against an unclean spirit, but how easily Jesus speaks that spirit away. Hold fast to the Lord and cling to his word, for by his word he says, Be forgiven, be righteous. 
Be clean. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.